Hello and welcome to China Econ Talk. I'm your host Jordan Schneider here today with Ben Hu, the CTO and co-founder of Lolishua, an English language learning app targeted at adults and powered by AI. So,、uh, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me, Jordan. So, Ben, why are Chinese people not very good at speaking English?、Uh, that's a very good question. I think,、uh, first of all,、uh, fundamentally, the Chinese language itself is so different from English, right? I mean, in general, if you say like a normal people from probably Latin language countries like European or Latin America, they probably speak. Much better English compared to、uh, like a normal Chinese person. I think、sure. the language itself is so different, and also the reason that the public school system, like the education system itself, emphasizes more on the reading and writing part,、uh, not really on the communication part. So when when we talk about like communication in fluent English, yeah, the Chinese people、uh, in general are not very doing that. Not doing very well. What are the incentives that make the education system focus more on reading and writing than than listening and speaking? I think there are a lot of、uh, aspects or reasons behind it, but I think one thing、uh, in particular is that probably in terms of evaluation, in terms of taking exams and、um, scoring the exams,、uh, reading and writing. Are much easier to be evaluated、sure. compared to listening and speaking. It's the same for like the TOEFL test from ETS, right? For quite a while, it only emphasized on the reading and the writing, like vocabulary or words, right? But same thing. It's it's just easier to evaluate to to like giving the score compared to re,、uh, listening and speaking.、Uh, yeah. That's definitely one major reason. Other than that,、uh, actually, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a historical reason. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because I f- I found it very shocking when I come to China and s- when I first came to China and I saw people reading academic level graduate papers in their respective fields and having no problem going through you know the latest research in physics or biology or what have you.、Um, but when it came to you know very casual English language conversation, it was a real challenge for even some of the most educated college students in China. So you know, it's a real need you guys are you guys are filling. Can you talk a little bit about the initial idea for the app and how it evolved to where it is today? Yeah, I think、uh, your observation is exactly why we started at the very beginning. Like when、um, back in the 2012, we realized that a lot of the folks around us are really willing to pay for the.、Uh, Uh, English learning, particularly in the communication skills, and、uh, the the truth is, or the fact is that they paid a lot, probably ranging from fifteen hundreds to three thousand U.S. dollar per year、mm. to a lot of the offline tutoring schools for the English. But unfortunately, the result、uh, was not very satisfying. So at that time, we see that when there was a gap between the consumer need and the the result. Uh, there's uh, something we can do about it. That's pretty much how we started to think about making a mobile app,、uh, which can give user instant feedback. Sure.、Um, that's that's pretty much、uh, why we started. Like I remember discovering this app a year ago and was blown away by the fact that it can correct you on pronunciation. Um, which is something you know. Me as a Chinese、uh, learner of the past two years, I've had a really hard time just convincing teachers to tell me when my pronunciation is wrong because I think it's like the most tedious part of 
uh, of teaching is every sentence, every time, every tone needs to be corrected. And um, this thing that your app does is it gives you a number score uh, based on how good you were and will tell you like which vowels are wrong uh, and how you can correct them. So I'm curious, you know, maybe where this idea came from, like all the and a little peek into the pain of developing the technology to um, be able to give you that sort of uh, very focused, very personalized feedback. At that time, we definitely got some uh, inspiration from a very popular music app back then called Changba. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the truth. So um, then we realized that we should probably uh, provide something similar or provide the equivalent version of that for English learner. And apparently it's a very... So, again, it, so Changba, basically it was like you're singing karaoke and it will tell you when you're out of tune. Uh, it's, it's a bit different uh, in terms of, uh, I mean, there's a definitely similarity between technology, but it's still very different. But the thing that why the app uh, where we released in 2013 was that popular is that first of all, uh, we purposely make sure the evaluation engine can work offline without data. Mm. Because back then the uh, 4G or 3G, whatever data plan was still very expensive. Uh, second, I think the fact that the person can talk to the phone without interacting with other um, kind of fits into the like Chinese people usually are very shy. Even if even if they go to an English corner talk to each other, they may be too shy to actually open up. So I think all these attributes contribute to hyper growth after our initial release back in February 2013. So that's pretty much one of the things being important to growth is being able to do it like, you know, in a room that doesn't necessarily have good service where you're alone and no one can hear you speaking your um, speaking your English. Yeah, that definitely. Yes, that's that definitely the angle. So so were there were there other um, particular moments or decisions that uh, helped you guys along on the growth curve? I mean, there are a lot. I mean, even back in 2013, uh, that one thing we did that we briefly uh, made the app uh, not free. So we briefly made the app to be a paid app on iOS. That actually uh, make us uh, very popular on the iOS rankings. And after maybe being a non-free app for uh, several weeks, I mean, I forgot the exact number of days, uh, then we made it free again, which actually drives <laughs> the, yeah, actually drives the the consumer's desire to download it. Oh, because uh, it's like, oh man, look yeah, at me, yeah, we're yeah, getting a deal. Yeah, 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 totally, minutes. totally. So we actually didn't do that on purpose. It's just we just want to experiment. So the action we took to make it a non-free is just an experiment. So we didn't actually see that coming, um, but actually it's had a very good effect. And uh, of course. And back in several years ago, in 2017 or 2018, uh, when we are launched our systematic content, the uh, AI English teacher power, uh, Donny English, we also did a very successful uh, performance marketing on WeChat ecosystem as well. So mm -hmm. there are several moments. Yeah. Sure. So you must have a lot of interesting data on how Chinese learn English, um, different regional variations, sex variations, age variations. I'm curious what interesting things you've learned about uh, who really makes progress, who doesn't, and why. This, there's a several um, demographics data I can share with you that right now, because our the penetration of our product, we basically have a very 
a similar population distribution, the, the general population distribution. Like, mm-hmm. for example, we have definitely more users on the coasts, but we also have a lot of users in the western part of the country as well. Sure. And for our paid customers, it's definitely more females than male. Uh, which also kind of fit into the stereotype is like, especially in China, we all when 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 we grow up, we all feel like our female students actually learn language much better or <laughs> much faster than than male students. And other than that, our demographics highly concentrated on between um, young adults, mainly between eighteen and two thirty. Mm-hmm. But because the product itself, we actually have uh, learners as young as like ten or eleven, as old as maybe sixties. Wow! So it's a very wide range of customers and and the motivations for people wanting to learn english is it uh what what are the what are the primary ones um that's actually a very interesting um observation like uh, probably uh, 15 or 20 years ago in china i think the primary reason people or a person want to learn english is definitely job related they mm-hmm. want to find a better job or uh, things like that but after uh, 15 or 20 years of the development, uh, right now, if you look at the, the reason behind our users' learning purpose, uh, on the top is actually like things like, I want to go I want to go abroad uh, without using a translation to, uh, tool or translation app. I want to watch uh, American or like UK TV or movies without subtitles. Uh, I want to communicate to foreigners in a fluent way. And of course, uh, job placement or find a better job is still on the top of the list, but definitely not number one or number two, uh, which kind of surprised us uh, at the very beginning. But I also may show that um, at, at this moment, I think being able to speak a better English or very good English sort of um, a requirement for a lot of jobs already. Yeah. Right? So it's like a it's not a plus anymore. Like it's not you can you will not be just uh, rewarded by speaking fluent English. Yeah, as certain jobs. As a as a foreigner in China, I will also say this is now working the other way. And you don't <laughs> just get jobs by speaking Chinese in a way that you could, um, you know, say 10, 10 years ago. So a detour into cloud computing. Um, you chose AWS as your cloud solution. I'm curious if you considered any domestic competitors at the time, uh, and if you did, uh, what you thought they were uh, lacking, and maybe how you see the, the the development of the domestic industry versus the foreign players. It's a very good question. So I think uh, back then when we uh, started, when we chose a cloud computing provider at that time, there was no other cloud computing provider in China uh, at that time, I think as good as AWS. Mm-hmm. So we first, uh, first of all, like uh, I came back from the states, um, so I, I I knew AWS pretty well. Uh, at that time, AWS was probably the only choice we we wanted to pick at that time. But honestly, after that's like almost seven years. Right now, the domestic players are doing very well for the past seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's, uh, particularly like Ali Cloud, Ali Yun, right, is doing very well. Sure. So um, I think uh, for us, uh, the competition is always good. So sure. it's it's make sure we have more choices. Sure. As a as a company that's uh, considering and working on internationalization, does having um, a foreign cloud make that easier, or have you interacted with Ali like Aliyun enough to understand if they could support that type of? Um, Foreign user base? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, AliCloud has a lot of presence uh, overseas as well. And uh, same as the uh, Tencent Cloud from Tencent, right? And even uh, in the international markets, AWS is not alone, right? I think the Microsoft Azure and, and the Google Cloud, 
are also working very hard to to catch up uh, at at actually this there's one player um, probably missing out a lot of miss is that uh, Huawei is actually working very hard uh, in the public cloud sure. sector so it's, it's good I mean for us as I, as I said competition is always good it's uh, make sure we have more choices. Make sure every single provider is uh, working very hard to improve their service and uh, to make us happy. So, sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Chinese content and consumer-focused companies doing internationalization, which is a relatively uh, new trend over just the past two or three years we really saw uh, come into bloom. So I just spent two years at a master's program in China and China studies and doing it, I watched a lot of ITE, but didn't necessarily gain too many hard skills. Had I only known that at the University of San Francisco's new master in applied economics, I could have learned something to actually make me super employable. You know, R, SQL, machine learning, all that good stuff you actually see on job listings in Silicon Valley and Zhongguansun, not necessarily have you watched all of Song. So. In this program, you can study the economics of platforms, auctions, and business strategy at the same time as you learn the tools of econometrics, experimental design, and machine learning. Plus, for all those non-U.S. students out there, this program is designated STEM, so you can apply for a three-year extension on your student visa and keep working in the U.S. after you graduate. To learn more and get an application fee waiver, go to usfca.edu slash jordan. You want to talk a little bit about uh, ByteDance and what they've uh, what they've been able to accomplish? ByteDance is a, a company. Actually, I think uh, it's a very. I mean, what they have been achieved uh, with TikTok and other apps is uh, very inspirational for a lot of the Chinese companies. And actually, there's very very few Chinese companies ever achieved uh, mainstream acknowledgement or whatever you can call it in the international markets. Actually, a lot of the gaming companies have been. Uh, very popular or very active in international markets already, probably five, six years ago. Yeah. But I, I don't think they ever achieved this kind of mainstream uh, acknowledgement from them. a lot of the Western media, stuff yeah. like that, like ByteDance yeah. did with TikTok. I feel so like what the, what the games have been doing is sort of different, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Tencent, yeah. it's much easier to buy half of Supercell than it is to create um, create games that have billions of users. Yeah, right? there, there, are, there are actually a lot of gaming companies uh, very popular as well, and also actually there are a lot of the uh, e-commerce company from China doing pretty well on Amazon. They probably just less known in terms sure. of the no, that's a good point. from yeah. the mainstream uh, media, but uh, but no matter what, I think uh, what ByteDance did with uh, TikTok is uh, very inspirational for others. Yeah, because I guess there's there's been this uh, myth, narrative, what have you, that this was just not something that China um, could do, and they could you know make products that people would buy all around the world, but not necessarily uh, you know apps and things that people would interact with on a on a daily basis. So I'm curious uh, where you guys are thinking about in terms of uh, markets and the potential challenges that you're going to need to figure out in order to help the rest of the world, not just Chinese, improve their spoken English. That's a very good question. First of all, I think language learning in general is a very generic uh, need across the board. And uh, there's a very few things I think um, is as generic as that. And uh, we internally always have a theory that right now across the whole world, if your country's income level is still like in the middle range, like China, probably 5,000 to 8,000 or 5,000 to 10,000 US dollar per cap, 
And if your native language is not English, your country probably have a very strong need to improve that mm. because English is still the language in terms of international training and uh, academic-wise stuff like that. So if a person in a country want to uh, get a better job, they want to get into advanced degrees, they want to do research, they sort of need to have very good English or English understanding. Sure. So from that perspective, I think uh, we probably have a very uh, good um, size of the market we can um, tackle. And also, um, there are already a lot of players in this market as well, which is another sign that language is a very strong need, especially in a lot of the countries we've been looking at. On the top list of their education category, um, majority of the apps actually language learning related. Interesting. Uh, on the top, on the like top one, top two yeah. uh, in the list. So it's, it's a very generic. When, um, you know, when adults in China, they're trying to be, you know, good students and improve themselves, adult education is not just an English-focused market in China. You have communities like Himalaya and Dodao, uh, where you can learn lots of different things. Um, so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about uh, the other players and what other interesting things are happening in, in adult education and why... Um, you know, of all the things that people uh, could learn on their commutes going to work, uh, of all the things you could learn on your commute, you end up choosing uh, Liu Lishua over um, over these other apps out there. So for adults education sector or for adults learning something, uh, this is more like a lifelong learning um, thing compared like to like students, like K-12 students or even college students. So they probably want to improve certain skills for jobs for I mean life and if you if you want to broaden the sense of learning or broaden the sense of like education you can say if I want to learn to cook it's also some sort of education yeah sure made to help um, help myself to survive or stuff like that so uh, from that perspective I think there are definitely a very different needs and you can learn all kinds of things um, but mm, I think um, uh, why we we choose English as the angle to work on, or why a user wants to improve their English is that just it's like a basic skill, and especially for the past forty years, the China's open reform um, sort of makes uh, English learning like a must thing for a lot of the uh, a lot of people in China. Like if if you ask them what, what they want to improve or what they want to learn. Um, I think English probably is going to be the one that pop up in their mind other sure. than um, other skills because um, uh, English is a basic skill. It actually can probably help you to learn other things like programming, like economics or stuff like that. You know, like, right? If you learn, let's say, like accounting, I don't know, CPA and CFA, probably mm. English helps as well. It's, it's like language is a very basic skill. So, sure. Um, that's why I think a lot of the people will would love to pay for the service or would to learn the uh, learn English. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the you know your sort of generation of Chinese uh, tech founders and maybe the difference in in mindset or outlook from uh, folks a little older than you, and how it and how it ends up impacting the way you run your business, the way you think about growth, the way you think about uh, interacting with the rest of the world. This is a very good question, but. Uh, my opinion is probably a little bit different. Um, so I always believe uh, age is not the, definitely not the only 
attribute automation to like try to like categorize certain like founders type of founders are probably not a very good uh, attribute either because I think like there's uh, if you look at the tech founders um, like Robin Lee and uh, Alibaba type they are probably like around 40 and 50s right mm -hmm. they are much younger tech founders in China what like 25 something I think in the end of the day it really depends on it's not your physical age right it really depends on how how old are you like inside for example I, give, I always give an example like uh, the person who uh, created AKB48 in Japan uh, with a lot of teenager fans. Is super that, old is, dude, right? Yeah, that's a very yeah. super old dude. So, um, yeah, that's the that's actually, uh, that's my point. It's sure. like, it's not really um, the physical age like separates uh, what kind of product they do or what kind of strategy they take. And there are people like 45 or 50 still um a person who like adventure, who likes taking risks, they probably will still have a very risky strategy in terms of the business. There are people like 30, 25, but still very conservative. So their business strategy could be very conservative. So I, I don't think it's an age thing. So honestly, so mm -hmm. it, and also like if you look at the uh, like Jack Ma probably is very different, but like Robin Lee and other folks also have overseas background. Sure. Right. So so from that perspective, I am no different. Than, than robbing or like you know we all have over us educated so it's not like oh i'm more international than them or vice versa right so i think so my point is age is not defect about sure. in for that question so mm -hmm. yeah. um but but i guess i guess maybe we can talk about the the kind of the, the China in which you grew your business is a very different one oh uh, yeah from what from the from the environment mm -hmm. that they had to that's true. So that's probably the the general uh, general like a lot of stuff like going on in China right now. I think because of China after the forty years of urban reform, uh, the domestic market is getting more and more competitive. There's a lot of things going on, and also with the Belt and Road initiatives stuff like that, I think there's a trend all in the country that people would love to look outside China for opportunities or want to expand their business outside China as well. And also a lot of infrastructure probably is there, like the payment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, and like more and more Chinese people going abroad. So all this, uh, I think, sort of contribute to a lot of internalization and the globalization strategy or things you you've, we've been seeing like for the past two, three years or four, five years. I think it definitely helped. Like for example, uh, the the China Chinese people going abroad definitely helps the expansion of Alipay and WeChat Pay. Sure. So... You want to talk a little bit about how the talent pool has changed over time? There are definitely more and more engineers, especially because of the uh, so many IPOs from the Chinese uh, internet companies. The mm -hmm. engineers getting paid better and better. So there are more and more students in the computer science major and there are more and more engineers all out of the college. That's definitely one thing. And also, um, there are comparatively, like, there are more returnees from overseas as well, especially mm -hmm. with China, more and more opportunities. It's just more more talents. Sure. Know? Of course, the cost of labor also goes up a lot as well. So. Yeah. Uh, a last one about a 996 culture. 
Uh, I'm curious if you uh, maybe could talk about why you think it's a thing to begin with, uh, maybe how it's changing over time, and uh, how you think about it with regards to your own uh, to your own company. Uh, so first of all, our company is not really 996. So um, the 996 is definitely a very popular term in China, but I think it's like software engineers like talk about it. Um, but as I said uh, privately, or I would say public as well, like there are actually a lot of professions um, in China or even across the world have uh, worse working hours as well. So I think you have to look at these issues um, like separately. Like one thing that um, do we have to have 96 in a lot of the companies? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. it dep- really depends on the business. And the second, uh, 96 itself probably is not as evil or is not as bad as a lot of people think because it's just um, a lot of software or internet companies or people in internet companies sort of have voice or they like to voice out, speak out on the internet. But I think there are a lot of other professions uh, we need to pay attention to. Like it really depends on the angle of the topic, right? Maybe, sure. maybe some of people want to talk about this angle is like, oh, like all the companies, all the organizations, and kind of like squeeze people's like, value out of it. Then if we talk about that angle, then I'm sure, like I said, we should pay more attention to other professions as well, right? Maybe they have the voice as well. A lot of the pressure, like doctors or teachers, they probably have even worse hours. Sure. Then uh, than six, right? But are we paying attention to? Like, it really depends, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting coming back to the the causes. You said uh, uh, earlier that initially when you were starting your company, uh, there weren't a ton of competitors. So it wasn't necessarily like, you know, you're one of a thousand uh, bike sharing companies. And if you don't have better numbers than your five other competitors that are pitching the same VC, you're going to die. So, you know, there, there are certainly aspects to the Chinese technology ecosystem that drives this uh, really aggressive competition, perhaps even more so than in um, uh, than in the West. A- anything Anything else you want to say, Ben? Yeah. Again, uh, thank you for having me, Jordan, and um, thanks everyone for listening. China Econ Talk is edited by Jason MacRonald and Kaiser Guo and is a proud member of the Seneca Network from SupChina. For other great shows on China, check out the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices Podcast, and of course, the Seneca Podcast, now in its ninth year. Until next week. Shut